Well, if you haven't heard it yet, if no one has told you, let me be the first to let you know that you are a good-looking bunch of people. And if you're online, I can't see your face, but I can see your name, and you got a great name. Okay? How does that sound? Let's see if, let's see if anyone's commented on, on this moment today here. Let's jump on there. Oh, we got a couple. Great to see both Clayton and Glory joining us. Good to see Carol Ann as well. Glory does say good morning to everybody. And others. Others, we can't always see everybody's name, but it's great to see that you're watching and joining in. We truly believe and feel that you will have the opportunity to experience the presence of God if you haven't already. And if you said, hey, Pastor Gary, I felt nothing, then this is, this is just your moment to just kind of pause and say, I want to press in a little bit more, and God, I'm expecting to meet with you today. And maybe you're going to go home, and you're going to wake up in the morning and say, God, you know what? I know it's Monday, but I want to meet with you again today. And uh, go for it, because God can meet us anywhere. It's just so nice that we get to meet God together on Sundays. I mean, I like it. That's why, you know, I'm here, because, you know, I could... I mean, I love going out, you know, for a nice car, long car ride. I like having a nice long shower. Uh, I like going out in the bush. These are the moments, like, I find, you know, getting alone just with God is just beautiful sometimes. But, man, do I love celebrating Jesus with other people. I love seeing God work in your life in moments on Sunday mornings and at special events. I love just seeing and hearing the voices of his children kind of sing out together in one voice. It's such an amazing opportunity to gather together. So I'm grateful that we can meet in person so that we can have these opportunities. I'm grateful to know that even if I can't see you, you're worshiping online. It's, uh, it's just such a beautiful thing. It's also great to know that, you know, we're part of a, we're not, we're not just the church, but it's great to know there's churches across our nation around the world that are doing the exact same thing. Some of them have already gone to bed for the night because they've already done this today. But it's so cool to know that the kingdom of God is so vast, and the family of God is so, so broad and wide. It's just amazing that God is doing incredible things through his spirit all around the world, and we get to be part of that right here in our little piece of heaven on earth of the North Shore. We get to be a part of what God is doing around the world right here. And so that's an amazing privilege for us today. Jesus is the Lord of creation, the source of reconciliation. The reason for our hope. Jesus is the strength to live a new life. Jesus is our Redeemer. Jesus is 100% fully God. Jesus is the head of the church, the resurrected one. Jesus is the peacemaker between God and humanity. And the one who works mightily in us. Amen. Today is our final message on the Jesus method. The last eight weeks, or this is week number eight, we have, uh, we have gone through this incredible journey of exploring how Jesus made disciples. Looking at, we didn't go into all the details of how he called them because I've preached about that before, about three years ago this winter, I think it was. You can go back on their website, I think, and find out that, that uh, series called Called to Follow. But the last few months, last number of weeks, we've looked at the ways that Jesus called people to be his followers. He invited them into an incredible 
moment of life change. And so we looked at the way that he created followers because it was his goal to bring people that were farther from God back into God's family and in God's presence. He came to bring reconciliation. Someone say reconciliation. Good stuff. Reconciliation is why he established the church. Reconciliation is why God established us here on the North Shore. It's why you are here today. God wants to bring reconciliation between him and those who are far from him. And you and I this morning as the church act as that bridge because you and I are called to bring people to Jesus and Jesus brings us all to the Father. Jesus said in John, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me except, no one comes to the Father except through me. And I'm thankful that we know the way. That's how he started the verse to his disciples. To Thomas, he says, Jesus, we don't know where you're going. And Jesus says, ah, but you have walked with me. You have talked with me. You have journeyed long and far with me. You have eaten with me. You've broken bread with me. You have seen all the things that I have done. You have done the things that I have done. You have walked in the steps that I have walked. You know the way to where I am going. And if you do these things... If you do what I have done, you too will know where I'm going. If you reach out to the poor, if you heal the sick, if you reach out to those that are the outcasts, if you bring hope to the world around you, you know the way to heaven. You know where I'm going. Because these are the things that I have done, as Jesus says. And he says, go and do likewise. If we truly pray and believe in the Lord's Prayer, and you would have seen if you walked into the doors, Brenda brought some keychains that Aaron had bought for us for you to take home, and it has the Lord's Prayer on it. You'll see a line in there that says, Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And if we truly believe your kingdom come, we are trusting Christ to transform our hearts, transform our minds, transform our bodies, and transform our spirits to align with him. Those of us who've experienced transformation, I pray that we would continue to be changed. And I continue that we'd be continually changed in a way that is compelling and contagious. No one likes to be contagious these days. I get it. But when it comes to our faith, man, do we ever have to get contagious? You know, no one likes to to go to church and be bored. I mean, sometimes we have serious moments and we don't want to engage with what God is doing. And so that is boring. But that's because we're standing on the outside looking in. But I pray that we are so excited about what Jesus is doing in our lives, even if it terrifies us at moments when he's telling us to do things we've never done before, to give more than we've ever given before, to do something we've never done before. Those are exciting moments, and they're also terrifying moments, but those are the things that are contagious. Because the kingdom of God is different than the earth kingdom that we live in today. The kingdom of God thinks differently than the way we think in our human minds, in our human flesh. Some of you are really smart people. Some of you are on your way. I'm one of them on the way. But even the smartest person in the universe needs to have a transformation by God's power in their life. To make decisions based on a kingdom mindset and not on an earthly mindset. 
Transformation is contagious and compelling. So do me a favor. Do what Jesus did. Say what Jesus said. Live like Jesus lived and and be contagious. Be outrageously contagious. Don't go spreading COVID-19 around, but man, go be outrageously contagious. Somebody say outrageously contagious. Who thinks they could say it 10 times fast? Pastor Katie will give you a prize. (laughs) It's kind of like unique New York. Outrageously contagious. So if we want to be contagious, you know, we're going to go reach people who are willing. So what does that mean? Well, Jesus went for the people that were willing. He didn't go for... Well, he went for the people that were willing. We'll leave it at that. We don't want to give too many examples today. You can go back and listen to that message selection, number one. But remember this. Jesus wasn't trying to impress the crowd. Now, I have the microphone. And when there's people, like, I'm really comfortable with you guys. But if I'm talking in front of a crowd of people, I really want the crowd to like me, right? I really want them to to respond to what I'm saying. I mean, I, I want that on Sundays. But... Anyways, that's a different story. But the fact is, is that Jesus didn't really care what the crowd said. He wasn't trying to impress anybody. He was trying to usher in a kingdom. And so, as Jesus would preach, I mean, the best example of this is when they feed the 5,000. You know, it's an incredible miracle. You know, this little boy brings his lunch Jesus prays over it, they give thanks, and the disciples distribute it, and they feed the crowd. And then they all get into the boat, they go across the lake, and the crowd goes around the lake and follows them and says, hey, Jesus, remember that time you gave us free lunch? We want that again. And Jesus says, oh, well, what I'm going to offer you is the bread of life. What I'm actually offering is something different than what you want. And the crowd got disappointed They said, we just want the free food, Jesus. Like, come on. And there was just a few people that were left, his disciples. And he even asked them, he says, I suppose that you want to go too. And then the disciples, this is the most, this is, this is one of the most amazing signs of maturity we see in a disciple of Jesus. And they look at him and they say to him, where would we go? Where would we go? Our old life is not worth living anymore. Where would we go, Jesus? Who I was yesterday is not who I am today, and I don't want to go back to who I was. It's contagious. The crowd didn't understand what Jesus was doing, but the disciples finally caught wind. And so when we are reaching people for Jesus, there's going to be people that don't want to hear it. And we just say, Lord, bless you, and you move on. Call them up another time and say, are you ready now? But following Jesus, not everyone's ready. So go, go find the willing. And keep loving and loving and loving because love eventually will kick down the wall. Eventually, eventually the moment will come and we pray our guts out, especially when it's someone we love, someone that's close to us. Say, hey, I see, I see what's going on in your life and yet God has given me eyes to see where you can be. God's given me eyes to see who you can be in his kingdom and in his family. And that's bringing hope. All right, there's week one. That's a really long recap for week one. Association, no matter where we go, even in our moments of failure, you know, I think this is beautiful, is that Jesus says, hey, look, 
I am with you always. I'm not going to let you go that easy. We talked about the reck. We sang about the reckless love. It means his love is relentless. It doesn't stop. There's nothing that we can do to ever separate us from the love of God. He says, "Look, yeah, maybe you made a mistake, Peter. You know, we see this moment. Peter actually says, "Where would we go, Jesus?" And then we see Jesus get nailed to the cross, and people are saying, "Hey, aren't you the one that followed him?" And he goes, "No, that wasn't me." And three times he denies Jesus. Big failure. And what does Jesus do? Three times he says to Peter, do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. You know, he denies him three times, and Peter then reaffirms his love for Jesus three times. Beautiful picture of redemption saying, look, I know you had a moment, but I'm with you. You're mine now. I'm with you. It's okay. I'm with you. Yeah, you you, you tripped. (laughs) You tripped. The guys, they went back to their boat. They went back fishing. And they weren't even doing very good at it, right? I mean, Frank probably put his boat away, I imagine, looking at the weather outside right now. The thing about Frank is that next spring, he's going to get his boat out, and it's going to be like he never left the lake because he's that good. But these guys, they fished their whole life, and they went back to the lake, and they caught nothing because it wasn't who they were supposed to be. And Jesus shows up and says, watch this, guys. Throw your net on the other side of the boat. They throw it on the other side of the boat. See, we did that already. They says, do it anyway. They throw it on the other side of the boat, and they bring in so much fish, it starts to sink the boat. And they realize and remember in that moment the life that Jesus offers them is so much more than our past. So much more than what people tell us because we are part of God's kingdom. Jesus says, I am with you always no matter what. Thanksgiving, we talked about consecration. May I show my thankfulness by living a life which is pleasing to you. You know, there's a way that seems right to a man. Well, everybody else does it that way. I was taught that this is how we should do things. This is what feels right. Oh, we love the feelings. Don't we love the feelings? This just feels right. Why did you decide that? It felt right, Pastor Gary. There's a difference between feelings and then the voice of the Holy Spirit. And the day that we get to discern the difference is a day we hit a step of maturity And it's a beautiful moment. But there's a way that seems right to us, and then there's God's way. And sometimes we have no idea what God's ways are, especially at first. Right? That's okay. It's part of the process of learning. I mean, the disciples, they went through this all the time. You know, they followed Jesus for three years, and they're still fighting with one another. Hey, Jesus, if you were to be hit by a bus, which one of us is most loved in the next second in command? Like, which one of us is, like, your number two guy? Like, we know you love us all, but which one's your favorite? Is it me? And then, then, then you see the two brothers. What do they do? They go get their mom involved. And their mom says, hey, Jesus, which one of my boys? Hey, Jesus. You know, my boys have served you very well. You know, if you've ever been a coach, right? You know, coach, my boy has been on that bench a really long time. I would really like number 19 to get on the ice any time now. You know, I think he'd make a really good, you know, anyways. They get, they get their mom involved. They're still fighting about this stuff. And Jesus says, you don't understand And then kind of this valuable lesson of 
humility. The first shall be last. The last shall be first. If you want to get straight to the top, make yourself the last. Hold the door for everybody else. Serve everybody else. Do the things that Jesus... So we read at the Last Supper, Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. Do you know why Jesus had to wash the feet of his disciples in that moment? It's not because he was like, hey, I'm the servant. This is a symbolic moment. It was because that there was no servant to wash the feet of the disciples. Anytime you would walk into a house, especially for a dinner, what would happen is the servant of that house would wash everybody else's feet. Because, like, we're very comfortable in this room. You're at home. If you're watching on your couch, maybe you're laying in bed still. Like, we all have our space this morning. But if you kind of just turn over to the kids' corner a little bit over here, like, they're kind of close. They're not quite cuddling. But that's what they would do. Like, they would literally, like, sit and close and, like, cuddle with one another like cats. It's really weird. But that's what they did. And so if you had stinky feet, like, you don't want those dirty feet in people's faces. So they'd wash their feet. And the servant of the house would do that. And if the servant wasn't available, the owner of the house would kind of be responsible to make sure it happened. So, hey, maybe their servant was off sick. Maybe their servant died. Maybe they killed their servant. I don't know. And so it was their responsibility to make sure that the feet of the people were washed. And so all the disciples, they walk into the room. Jesus walks into the room. They're all kind of looking around going, so who's the lowest of the low in this bunch? Hey, Judas, kind of, no. They're all looking around, waiting for the other person to wash the feet. Because nobody wants to stoop to the level of servant. And Jesus says, guys, you're missing the point. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. My ways are better than your ways. For Pete's sake, get on your knees and wash someone's feet. And he shows them how to do it. He shows them how to make himself nothing so that they can be everything. What an incredible moment. That also leads into number four, impartation. You know, I believe that you can only convince someone the gospel is true by living out true love towards them, by having the presence of Jesus in your life, because until we get this stuff, people aren't going to believe us. If it's all words and no action, I mean, Jesus was all about action. In fact, he used more action than he did words because in this moment, he never had to say a word to his disciples. In fact, the moment that Jesus took a knee, it was finally at that point, Peter says, oh, Lord, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I've made a mistake. That should be me washing your feet. And Jesus kind of goes, it's too late. I'm already doing it. But he imparts the way he does things more by his actions. And if we want people to believe what we say is true they're going to look a lot more at our actions. They're going to look at actions more than what we say. We're going to look at how Jesus demonstrates spiritual habits. When we look at Jesus in the Bible, he was either walking somewhere, teaching, or praying. That's basically his life. He was either serving, teaching, or praying, or sleeping. Rest was important as well. It's true. He gets in the boat, big storm, he's sleeping through it because he needs to rest. We need to rest. He needs to eat because that's part of rest. He's serving because he's called to serve or he's praying. He's getting his marching orders. He demonstrates for us. He demonstrates for his disciples. And we demonstrate to the world our spiritual habits. You showed up here Sunday morning. You showed up online. You signed in. You said, hey, this is a habit that I want to make. I want to hear from the word of God. 
I want to meet with God, and I want to encourage somebody, and I want to be encouraged. This is a spiritual habit that I'm creating. I said, you know, tomorrow you say, hey, I may want a little bit more of God tomorrow, so I'm going to put some habits in place. I'm going to read, read some of the Bible. I want to hear God's words. I'm going to pray. I'm going to put these habits in place because I'm going to demonstrate my faith. We must be prepared to have others follow us as we follow Jesus. I remember going to Bible college, and the president of the Bible college in my first year asked one of the students to pray. That student prayed, and the president said, you must be from this church with this pastor. And the student went, yeah, how did you know? He says, it was on your application. He says, no, because you pray just like your pastor prays, because he had known his pastor for however long. The, tr- the truth is, is that as you lead people to Jesus, they're going to worship Jesus the way that you worship Jesus. They're going to follow Jesus the way that you follow Jesus. And that can be intimidating sometimes. That can be challenging sometimes. Because kind of looking, maybe we don't always have it all figured out and have it all together. That's okay. But that's exactly what Jesus was doing as he demonstrated to his followers. And what happens when Jesus leaves? His disciples get together and they start to pray. And they prayed and they pray and they pray and they wait and they wait and they wait. And the Holy Spirit comes. And then they go and they pray and they serve and they rest and they go and they pray and they serve and they rest. And the kingdom grows and it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows. And it grows 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 and it grows. He demonstrated to them how to bring healing, how to bring provision. He demonstrates how to bring hope. And then he gives them the responsibility, the opportunity to do that. He delegates. Pastor Elizabeth preached that one. And then, of course, he calls us all to accountability. He says, hey, I've given you everything I could possibly give to you. You have now done everything that you've possibly done, and we're going to have this moment to say, how did it go? How is it going? And we learned last week that as the disciples went, they did the things that Jesus did. They preached the things that Jesus preached. They put their hands on the sick, and the sick were healed. And then they got to a crowd of people who were doing the same thing. And they kind of went, hold up, wait a minute. You're not one of us. You didn't walk with Jesus the way we walked. How do you know about him? And they rebuke these people that are following Jesus and, and doing the work of the ministry. And they come back to Jesus and they say, hey, by the way, we saw this happening. And Jesus goes, whoa, hold on. If they're not working against you, then they're for you. He says, don't hinder the work that someone else is doing. They may even be doing it better than you're doing it. So celebrate the fact that they're doing the work of the kingdom. So our challenge is is that, you know, we can look across this room and say, hey, that person's doing my job. We can look across the street or down the road and say, hey, they're, they're a church. They're doing this and that too. You know, I really do pray, and I don't know if we took a moment last week to say this, But I pray that, you know, the Baptist Church in Scriber would see people come to Jesus through their ministry. I pray that the United Church, the Anglican Church, I pray that the Catholic Church in town and and in Scriber and Rossport, I pray that they'd all see people come to Jesus. I pray that they do the work of the the kingdom beyond building our own kingdoms. Because they might connect with somebody that we're not going to connect with. They may have relationships with people we don't have relationships with because God is for all people. All right, there's your 20-minute recap. Are you ready for this week's message?
to close off this series, we're going to talk about the birds and the bees of ministry. We're going to talk about reproduction. So when a husband and wife get married, generally speaking, they have kids. And their kids drive them crazy until they retire and move out of the house. <laughs> Thanks. Matthew 19 says that the Creator made them male and female. For this reason, a man leaves his father and mother, and united with his wife, the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but they are one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So there's a few things in this verse that we want to pull out. So first off, we see a man. They don't say a boy. They don't say a child. They say a man. It's a sign of maturity. We see that he leaves his father and mother. There's a sign. As an, this is what we see here, a moment of transition. He's leaving. It's a transition, a change that's taking place. We talk about father and mother shows the picture of this complete family. United. So he becomes united with his, his wife. It's a new family. It's a moment of unity. They become, they become. Not that they became, but they become, which means it's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a process of learning, a process of leadership. It's a process of trust. The two become one, become indicates it's a process of change. And they became one flesh, deep intimacy between the two of them. That's the marriage relationship that's described in the Bible. That's the marriage between a husband and a wife in the, in the, in the picture that God has for his kingdom. And so then he says in Ephesians, this is what he says to the church. Are you ready for this? Paul tells us that the church is Jesus' bride. And all the men kind of went, oh, does that mean i got to wear a veil and a dress? No, you're okay. It's hard for us to be the bride, right, guys? It's kind of weird. Like, I'm not the one walking down the aisle. Just go with it. The church is the bride of Christ. It says, Jesus gave himself up. This is Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. He gave himself up for the church. He gave his body. He is the Savior. He gave himself to make the church holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but blameless. The church is the bride of Christ. When Jesus and the church come together, they become one. They become the kingdom of God. They become the family of God. They become this beautiful, holistic picture of perfection. The relationship between God and humanity in a perfect restoration, in a perfect marriage. What was intended at the moment of creation, when God knelt down on his knees and he got the dirt together and he created man and breathed breath from his own lungs into ours and we came to life and we said, wow, this is very good. 
He creates woman for man and man for woman. And as they come together, they experience perfection in the family, in the garden with God. They are one, they are close. And this picture we see in Ephesians that the church has now become the bride of Christ. We once again get to see this beautiful, perfect image, this beautiful marriage between God and humanity again. Remember, the mission was to take those who are far from God, as far as we could possibly be, separate, and bring them close. No greater bond than between a man and a woman than the bond of marriage. No greater bond with God than between the church and Jesus. Following Jesus is certainly a journey. Just as a husband and wife become, it's a process This is a word I think we need to focus on today, is that following Jesus is a process. We are the church now, but we are still becoming the church. And I know that because Jesus hasn't come back for his bride yet. We're still getting ready. You know, Jesus says, I will come back for you. I've gone to my father's house to prepare a place for you, but I will come back again. And so everything that you experience on this earth that isn't right, all of those things that are opposite of what God is, all of the hurt, the pain, the trials, the tears, all of those things that you're experiencing, I will make it right again, and I am making it right right now through you. But until I come, there will still be a process of becoming. And this is where we live right now. We are becoming the church, the bride of Christ. The moment you decide to follow Jesus, you are a member of his church, his bride. The commitment may be instant, but the goal and the, and the journey takes time. We have to learn to let go. We have to learn to trust. We have to learn to walk with him. Just as the process of a husband and a wife learning to live with one another It takes time for the church to learn to be the bride of Christ. So we follow Jesus the way that his disciples follow Jesus. They take time to pray, to learn, to teach, to worship, to work, celebrate, and rest. That's what I finished our message off last week. Those are seven things that you can do. Pray, learn, teach, worship, work, celebrate, and rest. Don't miss the last one. Rest is not the reward. Maybe we should start with rest. Let's start with rest, pray, learn, teach, worship, work, celebrate. Rest isn't the reward for the work. Rest is to prepare you for the work. You know, those moments where we're tired, yeah, that's a sign that we need to rest. But we rest so that we can do everything else. As the bride of Christ, as we become holy and blameless, as we do the things things that Jesus does, we realize that just as Jesus bent down on his knee to wash his disciples' feet, that we as a church exist not for ourselves. Right? We're not trying to build a pretty fancy kingdom here, here in their little corner of the community, right? I mean, we're gonna we're gonna use our building as a valuable tool for ministry. It's not our clubhouse. If you want a clubhouse, join the golf club if Bill will let you in. If you, want a, if you want a clubhouse, build a fort in your backyard in the tree or something. But we don't exist for ourselves. We love coming together. Do I love hanging out with you? Absolutely. But we exist for others. 
We're called to serve others. If you ask a police officer or you look at a police cruiser, lots of times you see on the side of the car it says to serve and protect. They know what they're all about. They know what they're supposed to do to serve and protect. One of my favorites is the Coast Guard. Their slogan is probably should be the slogan of every church, but theirs is so others may live. You know, one of my favorite movies came out in 2006. I've talked about it before. It's got Kevin Costner. He plays a U.S. Coast Guard uh, chief warrant officer or something like that. And he goes to teach at the Coast Guard school how to become a rescue sinner, swimmer. Rescue sinner. Wow. <laughs> That's a good one. Rescue swimmer. And the whole time he's teaching the class, it's not about you. It's not about you. And all the ones that are trying to set the best records, you say, it's not about you. It's not about you. I want you to be the best because that means you're going to save lives. You know, as a pastor, of course, I want you to be the best church. Because that just means that more lives are going to be saved. Not because I want to be better than every other church. There's the competitive side of me that comes out, okay? The ungodly side. But the fact is, is that we don't exist for ourselves. Love God, love others. If I asked you as a church member, as a saint, did you know, I mean, I, I never really quite understood, I never realized this before, but if I were to ask you to name a saint, could you think of one? Not Frank. Don't, don't put your hand up. I want to see if anyone, I think Frank knows the answer. If I asked you to name a saint, just, just yell one out. Nice and loud. Augustine. Okay. How about you do this? Look around the room, look at someone you know as a follower of Jesus and yell out their name. Could you do that? Do it right now. Just look across the room and yell out their name. Look at that. You all know the name of a saint. I'm serious. The moment that we choose to follow Jesus, we become a saint. And you think, me? What? No. Yes, it is what the Lord has done in you. That is your salvation. You are a follower of Jesus. You are a saint of Jesus. Let that sink in for a minute. And then you look around this room and you go, Pastor Gary, you're a saint? You betcha. <laughs> because a saint exists so others may live. We love God, we love others, and we do it together so others may live. You know, first 300 years, the church grew and it grew and it grew and it grew. And it grew and it grew and it grew and it grew. And then something interesting happened 300 years after the church was growing and growing and growing. The Roman Empire, I don't know if you know this about the Roman Empire, but they would steal things from cultures all the time. So, you know, they stole a lot of things from the Greeks, in particular their language. And they would steal all of these things from cultures. And finally, they, they, they were persecuting Christians right, left, and center because Christianity was growing and growing and growing. It was becoming a threat to the Roman Empire. And they said, we can't defeat these guys, right? Because nothing can stand against God and prosper. And they said, well, if we can't beat them, let's join them. And so Constantine not out of a religious experience, but out of a political one, says, hey, why don't we just make Christianity the official state religion of the whole entire Roman Empire? And in that moment, the church begins to plateau, and when things start to plateau, they begin to die. Now, the church grew minimally, but they went through an incredibly dark period of history where the church really did not grow because it became more political than it did spiritual. 
Now, I love when the government makes decisions that are holy and pleasing to God. Don't get me wrong. Because I believe that opens up the nation for blessing. We see it through the Old Testament. We've seen it in our own history. But the fact is, there was minimal growth. And then 500 years ago, 502 years ago, something incredible happened. The Word of God was printed and put in people's hands for the first time ever. And finally, they got to read the Bible without the perversion of politics. And they got to understand that there could be a relationship between humans and Jesus and Jesus and God. I didn't have to buy an indulgence. I didn't have to go to a priest. I didn't have to, to go and, uh, on a pilgrimage. I didn't have to go fight in a crusade. I could be close to God through the confession of my sin to God directly. That I had access through faith by grace alone. The word of God is put in people's hands and they once again began to realize, hey, what this Bible says, the word of God says, is not what I've been taught. It's not been the experience, but I can finally get to know God again. Because remember, nothing can stand against God and prosper even in the small C church. Even people claiming to be saints can't stand against God and prosper because God's ways are better than our ways. And so we see this incredible moment of hope. We call it the Reformation. It's this process of becoming. No longer do things hinder us from coming to Jesus. We must never lose sight of our mission that so others may live. Everything we do is so others and ourselves can know God more. Does that sound okay to you? Would you like to know God a little bit more? I would. And I think it's so beautiful when we come together and we learn something more about God because God speaks to you and then you share something with me and so I know something about God and you know stuff about him. And then we go and tell that story to somebody else that has no idea what we're talking about and they go, that is so compelling and contagious and say, hey, I want that. You know, there's a song that we used to sing, they'll know we're Christians by our words. They'll know we're Christians by how pretty our building is. They'll know we're Christians by what kind of clothes we wear. They'll know we're Christians by what post we put on Facebook and says, make sure you share and say amen. And No, they will know we are Christians by our love. A love that only God can give, and you can't share God's love unless you have already experienced his love yourself. So as we go from this series, as we go from this place, as we kind of enter into the Christmas series starting next week, we're going to just celebrate that Jesus came to this earth. But as we go from this place, we have an opportunity to remind ourselves to share the love of God with others so that they too will know the truth, that they have a hope for tomorrow. You know, one of our young people said a few weeks ago, maybe it was even during Momentum or before in our small group, and we said, you know, what are the things that you're, af you're afraid of? And he said, you know, in some of the silly answers that came out, and he kind of brought us all back to a moment of seriousness, and he said, you know, I think deep down I'm actually afraid of death. I'm actually afraid of what happens in the unknown. And I just kind of smiled and I said, well, you came to the right place. 
because we believe that death has lost its sting. I didn't say those exact words, but it's true. There is no fear in death, but there is hope in love. There's no fear in death, but there is hope in love. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm thankful that there's no one like you. I'm thankful, O oh God, that you love us so deeply. You care for us so much, so passionately. You gave your life for us. Lord, there really is nothing that would ever, Lord, cause you to separate yourself from us. Lord, even though we tried to separate ourselves from you, Lord, you made a way when there was no way. You sent your son Jesus to give everything that he was, to step down from heaven. Lord, he gave his entire being, Lord, so that we could know you. I pray that you would fill us once again with your love before we leave this place so that as we go about our day-to-day lives, as we leave this place, as we come back and serve tonight and have pasta together and take it in our cars and go and all of these things, I pray, oh God, that your love would be known here in this place. Pray that as cars drive up, as, as parents of our young people come, as our community members come by, Lord, even that simple gift and, and simple fundraiser, Lord, I pray that they would hit the parking lot, they'd hit the end of the street and they'd be overwhelmed with your love because they know that there's something real and alive here. Lord, that once what was lost has now been found, what was dead is now alive, what was in darkness has been brought to light. God, may we continually be defined by your love. Lord, there's no sting in death because of you. And so we worship you today. We love you today in return. And Lord, may everything we do be pleasing to you in your eyes. Lord, help us to remember the grace that exists for when we need it. But Lord, let us never stop. Let us never give up hope. Let us never give up loving you and loving those around us. In your name that we pray, we all say together, amen. Amen. Would you be incredibly blessed by God's love as you go? Feel free to yell at one another again and call them by name and yell at them and tell them they're a saint. So you better live like what? No, don't do that. That's not nice. But go encourage one another on your way out. If you're online, give an encouraging word to somebody. Share whatever God puts on your heart. And may you be blessed and blessed again in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.